We mentioned a few weeks ago, we've got a new system, and, and you, if you have not seen the buttons that are upstairs, we could launch the space shuttle with the buttons that are up there, all right? There are so many buttons, and there are so many different knobs and, and levers. We sent to Craig to button school. It was really cool, and so he has a degree in button pushing and lever moving and everything. Uh, it, is, it is really cool, but we're glad to have um, the system up and up and going. And I appreciate so much, Sean, setting the stage for things this morning about your safe space. I don't know if it was that safe, but um, I'm glad you asked about that. Uh, I mean, we all had a buddy, right? All of us had a buddy. Mine was named Buddy, and I also had Scooby-Doo, and I had Papa Smurf, and there was another Smurf. And uh, anyway, but that's not, that's not my safe space to talk about. But I do want to confess something this morning. I do want to confess something, and I hope that my parents are not going to um, be too upset with me sharing this. They're watching online, and it's one of those things that's just been a part of our family for years, and I just feel that today is the day that I need just to get it out and to let it be known. I come from a family that loses Christmas presents. Anybody else in here deal with that, where the gifts that are supposed to be under the tree sometimes don't make it because... You're just such a good hider and you can't find and you can't remember where you put the present, right? Come on, tell me. Has that happened to anybody else? Give me, Jensen's raising his hand in the back. Thank you, Jensen. I appreciate that, buddy. Yeah, um, we lose Christmas presents. We're good present hiders. In fact, there was one year that my aunt gave me an IOU for Christmas. I opened it up and there was a piece of paper inside and, and the piece of paper read, when I find your gift... I will mail it to you. <laughs> and sure enough, a few months later, she did. I got the gift. It was, it was great. Uh, it's just wild, though, how you can misplace Christmas gifts. But man, isn't it fun when you find them? And you had no idea that they were there, right? I was talking to Brittany Michelle earlier this week about um, uh, my, my confession that I was going to give. And she said, you know what? When, when, when we were cleaning out my grandmother's house, we moved a dresser back. And she said, there was a gift for me from like 1985. <laughs> she said, it was great. I had this retro gift that I got. Man, when you find those presents, it's like Christmas in July all over. Now, you have a choice, of course, when you find gifts meant for somebody else. You can go and give it to, give it to them then, or you can save it until next Christmas and you don't have to worry. I mean, you're, you're good as long as you can Find it, right? As long as you remember where you put it. Uh, you know, misplacing Christmas gifts, I mean, that's one thing. But what about if you misplaced Christmas? What about if you misplaced Christmas? Is it possible in, in the midst of all the hustle and bustle of the holidays, the, the office parties and the school programs and logging into Amazon and stalking Santa online, is it possible that we misplace God's great gift to the world? I mean, let's just be honest. It can be easy to lose sight of the Savior with everything else that's going on. And I know it sounds strange. It sounds strange that, that a season that was designed to focus people in on Jesus can actually serve to push him deeper, deeper there under the bed of our hearts and minds, and we just don't remember where he's at. And it can be especially difficult for those of you who perhaps grew up like me in a church environment that did not place that great of an emphasis on Christ during Christmas. You know, it might surprise you to learn that Christmas is a celebration of God's gift of salvation 
is actually lost to many who have grown up within our Christian fellowship. See, as a practice, churches of Christ have not traditionally made Christmas a big deal. It's really been only during my adult life that more and more of our congregations have joined with other faith communities in, in talking about Jesus during the holidays. Now, now look, growing up, we sang Christmas hymns at church. We just sang them in July. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what we did. Jesus, I was reminded, was the reason for every season. And because the Bible did not give us an example of the early Christians celebrating Christmas, well, our churches didn't either. Now, we didn't have a problem with the fact that the Bible didn't give us an example of the early Christians celebrating Mother's Day, but that's a totally different story, all right? We, we might not have been consistent, but we were distinctive. I mean, we stood out. In our desire to be distinctive and stand apart in a religious world that we believed did not take the, the silence of Scripture as seriously as we did, allowed us to at best ignore Jesus during December, and, it, and at worst, even campaign against his inclusion altogether. I've shared with some of you before how that, man, I remember this. I was in calculus class my senior year, and we had this countdown to Christmas that was up on, on the, um, it was a chalkboard at the time. And we, every once in a while, you guys remember when you used to have to clean off the chalkboard? You know, you have to clean it off and everything. And so we clean it and wipe it down and get those, hey, remember, the, remember those uh, brown paper towels that you would soak with water? I mean, I don't know who came up with those things because they never held water. I mean, you just dripped it all over the place and you would clean off those those, uh, those boards, and so we did that. But then we had to put our countdown to Christmas back up there in the corner. Well, I, I got a piece of chalk, and I wrote that it was X amount of days, you know, whatever the, the amount was. I said it was so many days until Xmas. And one of my best friends in high school, she said, hey, you need to change that. I said, why? She said, because you just took Christ out of Christmas. So you need to have, you need to have it, it needs to say Christmas up there. Well, there was my opportunity to be distinctive. I proceed to instruct my friend that December 25th is not the actual birthday of Jesus of Nazareth. The disciples did not celebrate Christmas. And the origin of Christmas being celebrated as this great festival in December was a co-opting of a pagan holiday. I got an A in distinctiveness. But I got an F for being a witness for Jesus. And isn't that what my role is supposed to be? I mean, a witness for Jesus being the Savior of the world? Look, I just got to own it. Somewhere in our Church of Christ history, our desire for distinctiveness took precedence over our mission to show the world Jesus. The celebrated remembrance of the Messiah's birth, it's not mandated by Scripture, but no matter its origins, you know, it provides a special opportunity for believers in Jesus to remember that God came to this earth to rescue people. And just like the synagogue and Hanukkah were developed and celebrated by God's Jewish followers, even though there was no scriptural mandate for either, Christmas as a time for followers of Jesus to celebrate salvation's coming. It doesn't violate a command of God. And by the way, Jesus taught in synagogue, and he went to the temple during Hanukkah. See, it's why at EB we do not ignore Jesus during December. It's why we encourage our little ones to proudly tell his story. It's why when we come together today, we want you to find Christmas. Because when you find Christmas, you find Jesus. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we can get so off focus. 
we can get so off focus with the different things that are going on right now in this moment. I mean, our, our lives already are all helter-skelter, and we're so busy, and there's so many plans that we make, but man, you throw in all the things that go on during the holiday and during this month of December, and, and it's so easy to lose our sight. It is so, it is so easy to no longer see you. It's, it's so easy to no longer listen for your spirit. It, it's so easy no longer to have the character of Jesus. So Father, it's my prayer that, that over the next few weeks as we come together and as, and as we come to, to encourage one another in the praise that we offer you, that, that we would come together in a search, that we would be on mission, that we would be looking We'll be looking to find Christmas, maybe for the first time, or, or maybe to rediscover something that, that we knew before, but that has been missing in our lives as of late. Father, allow us over these next few weeks to, to be intentional on looking for you, on seeing your son, and celebrating the fact that you came in search of us. It's the name of Jesus we pray this morning. Amen. Guys, in your Bible, you have four different accounts of the life of Jesus. Four different perspectives from four different individuals, four different pictures of his life. Now, two of those accounts, Mark and John, have nothing to say about the actual coming or the birth of Jesus. The two other accounts in Luke and Matthew, well, they give us the story, but they give us that story in two totally different ways. Now, we're probably most familiar with the description in Luke's gospel. You have the shepherds and the angels and the manger. It's the one that you remember from, you know, Charlie Brown's Christmas. Now, Matthew, he gives a description of Christ's coming, but, but it's often pushed back deep into the closet and forgotten. And I think it's understandable because compared to Luke's telling, well, Matthew's nativity account is like a year's subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. I mean, it's the gift that keeps on giving throughout the year, but it's really not exactly what we were wanting or, or what we were needing at the time. In fact, if you just read through the first couple of verses that introduce Matthew in Matthew chapter 1, you might decide, well, you don't want to read this story at all. Listen to how Matthew begins. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. That's how Matthew wants to begin the story of the greatest person ever, the greatest story ever told, and that's what Matthew does? I mean, whose idea was it for him to write a gospel? I mean, think about it for a minute. He was a tax collector by trade. And no offense to Bob White and some of our other accountants out there, but you guys aren't necessarily wordsmiths, right? I mean, th those of you who are accountants, those of you who are engineers, you know, we wouldn't come to you and say, hey, let's write the greatest story ever told. <laughs> so what gives here? Well, Matthew's original audience was Jewish. And he's about to make the case that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the, the chosen of God, the anointed of God. And if he's going to convince Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, then he's got to deal with this big question. Because the Jews are going to ask, was Jesus related to David? Who is this man Jesus? Because if he's not related to David, then the Jews are not going to take him seriously. Because God had said that a descendant from David would sit on his throne. And there's got to be, if there's going to be this physical, literal Messiah, then he must have a physical, literal connection to David. 
And so Matthew decides to answer the big question first. And so he begins with a genealogy. But Matthew, in giving this genealogy that was meant to provide proof of the messiahship of Jesus and how Jesus was of a Davidic lineage, well, he seems to undercut his own argument because, well, he includes the names of people who were, well, to say the least, they were just questionable. You know, if you were going to write a history during ancient times, you would write that history and make sure that the one for whom you were writing it looked good. I mean, that would be your job, to make sure that the history of the person that you were focusing on, that they looked good. In fact, historians were hired to write the history of the one who was doing the hiring. And so you better make sure that they look good. So it wasn't uncommon for, for histories in the ancient times to focus primarily on a leader's victories and all of their successes, never the defeats. Children of powerful men, it was not uncommon that, that these individuals perhaps would be left out of the history if as they were growing up, if they themselves did not do anything great. And ladies, I'm sorry, but you just didn't make the historical list because the focus was on what the men were doing. That's the way the genealogies were supposed to be written. Make the person that you were writing about look good. Leave out all the things that were questionable. But Matthew, well, he steps out of the norm. And the first thing that he does to step out of the norm, he begins by adding women to Jesus' family lineage. Now, of course, understand, there are women in Jesus' family tree, but, but you wouldn't expect to find them in the genealogy. They weren't supposed to be mentioned. It should have been all men connecting Jesus the man to David the man. But he gives us the names of four women. And, and, and two of them he really shouldn't have mentioned at all, and, and three out of the four women are not even Jewish. I mean, he goes out of his way to tell those readers that, look, Jesus is not 100% Jewish. He doesn't have a pure bloodline, but he is going to be your Messiah. Here's how the genealogy continues. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. I mean, he said Tamar. Now, for us, we don't really understand that because we don't talk about Tamar in, in nice circles. We certainly don't read those verses here in, in church about the Leverite marriage and what took place with Tamar and, and then the loss of her husband and what the brothers refused to do and, and then what she did on her own and, and the way that she tricked her father-in-law, but why her father-in-law was even there to be tricked in the first place and then what was going to take place. And it's one of those stories, I mean, it would be a lifetime movie. It would be a lifetime movie that you would see on Saturday mornings, you know, when you get up and you pour the cup of coffee and you sit down and, and then your spouse comes in and it's like a little freaked out because of what you're watching on television. Tamar. Now everybody's going to be like, Tamar, let me, <laughs> hey Siri, what is, <laughs> who was Tamar? It's in Genesis, I promise, it's in your Bible. But there was no need to mention Tamar. Everyone who knew their Jewish history knew the story of Tamar. So he moves on, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Whoa, there's another woman, and she's not Jewish. Not only is she not Jewish, she's got a nickname. And those of you who grew up in church, you know she's Rahab the... Harlequin romance novel person. That's right. You got it. I mean, that, that's, that's who she was. And we, you know that. There's no reason to bring this up. No reason to put this in the genealogy of Jesus. And Jewish readers would have to be like, you have got to be kidding me. 
Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ah, Ruth. Now that's a good story. Ruth's a good story. There, there's a book in your Bible called Ruth. <laughs> she's, she's not a Jew either, by the way. She's from Moab. And the Moabites, were, well, they were perpetual enemies of Israel. Jewish readers knew that Ruth was not Jewish. And I mean, Matthew just keeps taking these side roads when he should have been staying focused with where he was going, showing the Jewish people that Jesus had a good Jewish pedigree, leading all the way back to David. And by the way, speaking of David, he's going to talk about him. And that's where it really gets uncomfortable, Sean. You thought your story was uncomfortable. Listen to what's about to be said. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. There he is. And we could just stop there. And you want, Matthew, just to stop because you're already embarrassing me by some of the things that you're bringing up and some of the things that have happened. But no, he doesn't stop. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. He didn't even mention her name. But everybody knew her name. Who was Solomon's mother, guys? Yes. Oh, but he doesn't say Bathsheba. You even whispered it when you said it. Bathsheba. No, he makes it even worse. He says she was another man's wife. In case you forgot the story. You see, the readers who know their Old Testament history are wondering, well, why are you bringing all this up? Why are you bringing all this up? Because if you want to mention some women, how about Sarah or, or how about Rebecca? But, but no, Matthew has to go and talk about Tamar and, and Rahab and, and Ruth and, and Solomon's mother who was Uriah's wife. Why in the world would he begin a message about Jesus like this? Well, here's what I think. Matthew had spent three years with Jesus, and he had heard Jesus teach, and he had seen Jesus heal. Matthew had, had seen Jesus die on a cross, and he had seen the resurrected Lord. And Matthew wants everyone to know that before you rejoice over the coming of the Messiah, you need to know why the Messiah came. See, Matthew knew that all these shady characters, with, with all their, their baggage and, and all their sin and, and all the embarrassing stories, both male and female, that are listed there in that genealogy, Matthew understood that, that their stories were the point of the story that he was about to tell. Matthew knew that, that sin was the issue that Jesus came to address. And he knew that Jesus just didn't come for sinners. Matthew wanted the world to know that Jesus came from sinners. That the story of Jesus is one about light coming into darkness. It's a story about life coming into an environment that is characterized by death. That it really is a story of grace that's going in and breaking down all the walls put up and created by the law. It really is a story of forgiveness in a world that knew nothing but condemnation. See, Matthew understood these things. He understood because he knew something about darkness, and he knew something about condemnation, because it had been present, and it was present in his own life. And where would he have been if he had never left his tax collecting booth? And where would you have been if, if your papa had never told you the story of Jesus? Where would you have been if you had never, never accepted the invitation 
of your boyfriend to come to come to youth group one Sunday? Where would you have been if if you had never if you had never gone out to eat with that family who said, "Hey, how about you come with us and after church we're going to go and share a meal together?" Because you've seen your darkness. And you understand condemnation also. See, to include sinners in the genealogy, it was not a tangent that Matthew was going off on. It was the point. It was the point of the story. Matthew understood. He understood perhaps better than any other gospel writer that the story of Jesus and Christmas was the story of God finding people. Finding his people. People who had been lost and forgotten by culture and circumstance. People who had been drawn away and and dragged away by society and sin. People whose relatives had overlooked them and whose religion had ostracized them. And it's why we're so adamant. It's why we're so adamant that everyone find Christmas. It's why we decorate with lights and and stars and by the way shout out to Chris Marcus because once he built this in his shop he didn't know how he was going to get it out by the way (laughs) he he made that old old mistake you know you guys have done that at Christmas before it's like I'll just put this together and then we'll set it all out (laughs) yeah good good job with that but man Chris Marcus did an awesome job and it's like why do we have this big star and and why do we have all these trees and and why do we have all these lights and and why do we drive around town and we see all these Different reminders here in this season. I think it's because that Christmas is the story. The story of Jesus' birth. It's the story of God's relentless search for you. And it's a visual reminder of how God did not want to to leave you alone. It's the visual reminder that God is the comfort that we so seek. And I'm so thankful that each year we have a season on our calendar that, that calls us to intentionally consider the wonderful, extravagant gift of God. Because we do get off course, right? I mean, we do get sidetracked. We don't always give our relationship to God the priority and the attention that it deserves. I mean, like that present that you have hidden away, we can forget where we've placed our faith. We have the tendency to forget where our commitment is and and where is our love and, and where in the world has our witness gone. So let God's Spirit lead you over these next few days to rediscover what you have misplaced. Friends, I want you to find Christmas Because when you find Christmas, you're going to find hope. And when you find Christmas, you're going to find forgiveness. And when you find Christmas, you're going to find a purpose, and you're going to find a mission, and you're going to find a witness, and you're going to find a story. Because when you find Christmas, you find Jesus. And friends, when you find Christmas, God finds you. He finds you. And believe it or not, he wants your name to be listed as part of his family. He does. <laughs> You're like, oh, but I haven't, yeah, you know what, you haven't been like Tamar? It's like, but I didn't, you haven't lived like Ruth? You haven't lived like Rahab? You haven't been like Judah? You, you, you haven't been like David? You haven't been like Bathsheba? What, what, what is it that you think that, 
Why is it you think that your name can't be listed in Jesus' genealogy? His story is about God coming in search of sinners. His story is about God coming in search of you. And he wants you to be part of his family. So wrap that up, put a bow on it, and hide it away in your heart. Find Christmas. Find Jesus. And let God find you. Why don't we stand and give him praise this morning?